Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. seems all in one week summer has decided that it's done giving us heat and fall has has happened so some of you rejoice with that and some of you love the heat and wish it could stick around but what it is it is um it is good to recognize that that pastor debbie is away this is the first sunday that she's had a, a chance to be on her sabbatical for a period of 10 weeks her assignment is to connect with jesus um, and as she is able to do that, that will be a gift back to us and to our church um, as she re-engages with ministry here at the end of that time period. Uh, she did announce on Facebook that she became another grandma. Uh, grandma once again. I don't know how you say that. She didn't become another grandma. She still herself. Um, but another grandchild has arrived. And so we celebrate with the, the Hodgerson family. It is a boy. I don't know any of the details. Debbie or Connie, do you remember? Her, his name? Miles. Somebody does. Miles. No? What? Moon. Boone. Boone with a B. Boone. So clearly I'm not, I, I was not prepared for this. This just came into my mind and had not written anything down. I apologize. It is good to be back uh, in the pulpit this Sunday. Debbie and Val have preached over the last couple of Sundays. Um, and I would just want to say, it is such a privilege to have two women on staff who are such gifted and excellent preachers um, and to learn, absolutely, to be taught by them, to learn from them, to hear God speak through them. Uh, the Church of Nazarene has, since its organization, recognized uh, women as uh, full participants in the ministry um, to the people uh, and to the church uh, and the people who gather within the church. Um, and it's good to hear <clears throat> from them from time to time. Um, as we, uh, as I return to the pulpit, we're turning back to the lectionaries, um, or back to the lectionary topics um, and, and the, the lectionary passages. Um, if you go all the way back before summer, we were in the, in the season of Easter. Now, Easter happens on a day that no one can figure out why. I think it has to do with the moon. Um, it happens on a day <clears throat> that's set on the calendar. It kind of bounces around. <clears throat> but we have Easter Sunday, and we celebrate Easter for more than one Sunday. The, the church calendar rhythm dedicates seven Sundays to Easter. Easter is a big deal. Easter is important. We have the seven Sundays of Easter. And then comes Pentecost. And after Pentecost, we enter into this season called ordinary time or common time. 
uh, proper time, some people call it. Um, and, and, and we haven't followed that in, in the lectionary this, this past summer, not a bit. Um, as, soon as, as soon as ordinary time hit, we jumped into to James and stayed with that book. We went verse by verse through the book of James uh, over the course of, of the summer. I was planning nine weeks, and the Holy Spirit turned it into ten weeks. Um, and, and honestly, for a, for a lot of year C, um, <clears throat> which is supposed to be Luke's year, so there are three years to the, to the lectionary calendar, year A and year B and year C, and each one of those is devoted, uh, the gospel texts at least, are, are centered around a different synoptic gospel. So year A is kind of focused on Matthew, year B is focused on Mark, and year C is focused on Luke. So we're in the midst of, of year C, um, and we've barely touched the gospel of Luke. If you've if you've been with us, if you've been paying attention, then you've known we haven't really <clears throat> spent a lot of time in, in Luke. And, and to be honest with you, I'm just going to have to make it up to Luke. So <laughs> in three years, we'll make it up to, to Luke, okay? But, but for, this, for this push, I was really going to, to stick with um, the, the epistle reading, the second, the second reading. Um, I, I may change my mind on that. I'm not sure. Um, but, but for uh, the second reading, the, the, the New Testament reading, a lot of what's to come comes from the epistle of Timothy. Um, and so today, as we look to God's word, we're going to turn to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to 1 Timothy. Um, or if you have a device that you read scripture on, you can point it in that direction. Um, as I was, I was looking at the, the lectionary texts, even this morning, I was like, you know, maybe we need to, to mix in some Old, text, Old Testament texts along the way. But as we finish out through, <coughs> excuse me, as we finish out through the rest of this church year, um, we'll, we'll be uh, either in Timothy or maybe bouncing to, to some of the Old Testament texts. I can't believe this is going to scare you a little bit. There's like 11 or 12 weeks to the end of the church year, and then Advent hits. Yeah, that's Christmas. That's like 12 weeks away. So it's a surprisingly small number for me. Um, I don't know where, where, where the year has gone, um, <clears throat> but that's okay. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be reading from First Ch- Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, those who are willing and able, would you please stand as we read together from First Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12, reading today from the Common English Bible. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength because he considered me faithful. So he appointed me to ministry, even though I used to speak against him, attack his people. And I was proud, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and without faith. Our Lord's favor poured all over me, along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. But this is why I was shown mercy, so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience to me, first of all. So I'm an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of ages, to the immortal, invisible, and only God, may honor and glory be given to him forever and always. Amen. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. 
So one of the things right out of the gate as we, <clears throat> as we take a look at this text, um, the epistle uh, of 1 Timothy is grouped with two other epistles in the Bible, um, 2 Timothy uh, and Titus. And these three books together have been called the pastoral epistles. Pastorals, uh, pastoral epistles. Labeled that way, probably the first record we have of that is back in the 1700s. So it's been a long time that these, these books have kind of been grouped together and, and called, called the pastoral epistles. Now, epistles um, are, is, is the term, terminology we use to talk about letters that have been written and, and that appear in our Bible. Okay, and, and generally, epistles, most of the time, are written to a group of people. Uh, to a church, and often it's labeled after that church that it was sent to. Romans was sent to the church in Rome. Ephesians was sent to the church in Ephesus. Colossians sent to the church in Colossae. Uh, generally, epistles were written to a church, but, but these, these pastoral epistles are written a little different. These are letters uh, to coworkers, letters to, to, from the author to people who were also serving the church, people who were trying to spread the message, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to call people along and call people forward in the way, the way of following Jesus. And, and the author is writing to them with, with instructions. Now, now, Paul is kind of the attributed writer. Um, he was notably older and wiser, more experienced, and he was, he was giving advice to the younger servant, the younger minister, Timothy, offering wisdom and insight and guidance along the way. Now, I called Paul the attributed author, um, and, and that wasn't a mistake on my part. Scripture states that these letters are from Paul. If you look in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and in Titus, uh, they all say they're, they're from, from Paul. But this is, these are three of the letters that biblical scholars have really struggled and, and, and had some doubts about the authenticity of Paul's authorship um, in these books. Uh, the theology is a little harsher, a little more brittle, as one scholar called it. Some, some of the ways the author talks about Paul don't seem very autobiographical. Like, it sounds like he's talking about someone else. And, and the way that Paul talks about himself in some of the other books comes off a little different. But we can't be certain. Um, there's one commentator I read, George Knight, states that, that these, these letters were written to his colleagues. These, these letters were written to people who, who were doing the same thing he was doing and, and people that he considered that he had a mentorship for and was guiding and leading. And so one can kind of expect there to be a little different tone between him mentoring someone and writing a letter to a group, to a church that he had planted and started. But, but in this passage, Paul talks about himself, or the author talks about Paul, because Paul has an amazing testimony, right? Paul has an amazing testimony. He is, he's one that you might call a turnaround testimony, right? He turned his life around. And the story of Paul, who started out as Saul, is, is fairly well known. Here's a guy that was, was fighting those who followed Jesus. He was persecuting them. He was, he was against them in every way. And people knew he was kind of this public figure. 
people knew who Saul was. If you followed Jesus, and if you knew Saul was in the area, you steer, steered clear of this guy. He was trouble. He was bad news. And in 1 Timothy, in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, verse 13 translates this, I was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. That's who Paul had been in his life toward one group of people, the people who followed Jesus, the people who walked in the way. He makes a cameo appearance in, in the arrest and the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapters 6 through 8. Paul shows up there, or Saul shows up there, granting his, looking on, casting his approval on what happened as Stephen was stoned to death. Just after that, we hear the story of, of Saul going to Damascus. And, and as he was traveling to Damascus, as he was on the journey, it says, a light appeared, knocked him to the ground, and his life was changed. His life was altered. His, the, the, the direction and the trajectory of his life made a big shift. But even after his conversion and, and this dramatic turnaround that had, had taken place and that had happened in his life, still he was feared. Still he was despised. Still people kind of was like, is this, is this for real? And it took, it took numerous recommendations. It had, took people advocating on behalf of him and, and speaking for him saying, Jesus has got a hold of this guy. He's living a new life. These recommendations were important for Paul, for people who were in charge, for the church, for, for those leaders in the church to say, we're going to trust this man. We're going to commission him. We're going to send him out. And out of this passage that we find in Timothy, so Paul writing to Timothy, or the author who was writing from the perspective of Paul, writing to Timothy, out of him pours this tremendous gratitude. Look, look what God has done for me. Look, this is my life before. This is all that I did. This is how I persecuted the church. But look what God has done in my life. It's amazing. Amazing the transformation that, that Christ brings. In, in the gospel that is assigned to year C, the one we haven't looked at much. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house to eat. And while he was there, there was a woman who came in, identified as a sinner. An unrepentant sinner, a sinner who, who, whose ways were known, a sinner who, who lived a life that was not the way it was meant to be lived. And while she comes into the house and, and he's reclining at table, it says she cried and wept on his feet, wet his feet with her tears, then began to take her long hair and wipe his feet clean, and then broke open the alabaster jar and anointed his feet with oil. The Pharisee, the religious guy, the host of this meal, it says, was disgusted. 
disgusted. If only, if only Jesus knew who this woman was. Clearly, Jesus was from out of town because he didn't read the signs. He couldn't tell what was going on. He didn't know the history of this woman. And Jesus, knowing his thought, tells a parable where two people owed money, one ten times more than the other person. And it says the, the lender forgives both of the debts owed by both of these people, the one who owed 10 times more and the one who owed less. And he asked this simple question, who will love the lender more? The obvious answer being the one who owed more. This is Paul's life. Paul was the one that owed more. Paul was the one who had persecuted Christians. Paul was the one who had lived a life contrary to the gospel, blatantly, intentionally, purposefully stopping the spread of the gospel and intimidating those who were interested to say, no, this is not the way. This is Paul, the one who owed more. And here in the letter, uh, the letter to Timothy, there is such clarity. It's so clear. The joy that he has, what extravagance from God, what opulence from God to, to wipe his slate clean, to, to forgive his sins, to look past his history, and to forgive a sinner like Paul. One who had attacked followers of the way, abused them, literally approving of their being killed. He was the worst and yet was forgiven like the rest. And there's such gratitude that we read in this passage, such joy. And hung in the middle of this passage is a line that's so basic and so sincere and so profound that I couldn't escape it this week. And the verse that I'm talking about is this. It simply says, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Did you know that's true? That's good news. That's what we come to preach. That's why we come to worship. That's what all these songs are written about. That Christ Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. It's like in the middle of telling his story, in the middle of, of, of thanking God for all that God has done, Paul says, Let's get really basic. This is exactly what Christ came to do. To save sinners. A little, a little earlier, Kira read a, a passage from Luke, Luke 15. Lost sheep. The shepherd has a hundred sheep. I've never raised or tried to tend for sheep. You probably guessed that about me. Um, but, but this shepherd who has a hundred sheep says one day he's out counting and he only, he only counts 99. Where'd Fred go? We lost Fred again. Fred likes to wander. 
It says he leaves the 99 safe and he goes out and finds the lost one, flings him on his shoulders, calls his buddies. He sends the group text, I found Fred. Sheep emoji, sheep emoji. (laughs) Come celebrate. Fred's been found. Then there's the story of the lost coin, same story. But did you pay attention to the first couple verses? Did you hear the setting of these parables, the setting of these stories? Where was this story told and why? Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus was drawing crowds. Jesus was drawing crowds. People were coming to hear the words that he had to be encouraged to be challenged in their lives. And the Pharisees said, who is this that Jesus is calling together? Jesus was calling together all the wrong people. Tax collectors. The tax collectors were coming to hear Jesus. The sinners were coming to hear Jesus. The prostitutes were coming to hear Jesus. The liars were coming to hear Jesus. The gossips were coming to hear Jesus. Not only was Jesus welcoming him into those settings to learn about the truth, it says Jesus was eating with them. (gasps) Well, I mean, teaching with them is one, teaching them is one thing. Letting, Letting them hear the truth is one thing. Back in those days, the teacher probably sat and then the audience would gather around and stand around to listen and to hear. That's okay, but go to table with them? To go into their homes or to invite them into your setting? Paul says to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I was reading a a brief essay this week uh, in a book called Feasting on the Word by Jane Ferguson. Um, the, the essay was, was by Ferguson, and, and she reflected on this passage. And, and, and as she was doing so, she said, you know, the pastoral epistles were, was, were, were letters from a person to another person. That's how they were, were written. But, but clearly they're meant for us too, right? They're in the Bible for a reason. God speaks to us through God's Word And they're written for us, too. That's what we believe about Scripture. It's for us, too. But if it's for us, too, how how has the world heard this statement from us, from our lives and from how we live? This statement, Christ Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. She likens Timothy, the one to whom this is written, to, to, to young adults entering the world today. saying they've likely heard over and over this statement. They've they've probably heard it before, that that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And that was Jesus' purpose. That's why Jesus came. But likely they struggled to believe the saying that comes before it. Paul, in his letter, said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it up just to make sure I, I say it right. It says this. 
this saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. She says the Timothys of this world have probably heard that the Christ Jesus did come to save sinners, but likely struggle to believe that it's a saying that's reliable and deserving of full acceptance. What has happened? What has gone on? What can we do to make this statement reliable? To make it fully accepted? To, to, to set the world free to believe that that statement is true? The author, Paul, answers his question with this letter, answers her question with this letter, shares his heart shares his heart throughout the course of this book. If you were to read, if you're looking for something to read this week, here's your assignment. Some people like to have assignments when they come to church. Here's your assignment. Read through 1 Timothy. You want extra credit? Read through 1 and 2 Timothy. Just bonus points. They don't, they don't mean anything. There's no real credit. Just bonus points. Bible bonus points are good. Amen. He fills this letter with, with intimate revelations, with confessions of faith, with, with practical guidance, practical advice. This is, this is how you can serve. This is what you can do in your life. As you go to serve, be this person. As you go to lead people, care for people in this way. And Ferguson writes this, and I quote, Can the Pauls of our time share intimately with the Timothys their confessions of faith, their personal relationships with God, their, their questions and their doubts, as well as affirmations and celebrations? Honest, raw sharing must build the base for communication with 21st century Timothys. And she adds, they have no patience for platitudes and warmed over theological sentiments. If we are going to help the world see that Christ Jesus comes to save sinners, we have to live that out in our lives. We have to be the vulnerable people of God, sharing our questions, celebrating the small joys and victories of this journey. I think this is what the church needs. People and saints and prophets and Pauls willing to engage on this level. Willing to engage the people of this world in honest conversations. On Wednesday nights, we're having a, a Bible study for adults on, on the Lord's Prayer. And, and I'll tell you, sometimes prayer is a struggle. Sometimes prayer is a struggle. We're, 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 we're going over the Lord's Prayer. And the first week I heard, we got two words in, our Father, and that was enough. We're like, well, hang on, let's, let's pause. What does this mean? How does this speak to our lives? Not that we have it all figured out. Not that we've already arrived. Not that we've already, I'm sounding like Paul. We're here to run the race, to walk the journey, to get to know Christ Jesus. The world needs to see that we have a faith that can withstand my doubt, 
that can carry me through my questioning times, that can, can guide me through the confusing moments. Because they come. Amen? Maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so. The doubts do come, and the questions are hard. And I think we see in Paul, one who cared for Timothy so well that he was willing to lay his life before him. There's one thing that Paul does that I really, really admire in this passage. And I'll tell you that sometimes this is where the church, this is where those who follow Jesus, people who are on the way with Christ, have sometimes got it wrong. This is where the church, we, I, sometimes I have got it wrong. We've been doing it a long time. It happened in, in Luke 15, even with, with the Pharisees we just talked about. Sometimes we get caught up in the naming, the labeling, the figuring out who the sinners are. That that becomes our focus. Who is and who isn't, who's in and who's out, who's made it and who has not. And I want to tell you that's the least important part of that sentence. Christ, Jesus, that's important, came into this world, that's important to save. That's good news. Sinners. The Pharisees' response was, if only he knew who she was, if only he knew where those tears come from, where that hair has been. And how she probably came into possession of that oil. But we're still doing it today. We split hairs over different theologies. We struggle with beliefs that don't look like ours. struggle in how to respond to other world religions, how do, we, how do we interact, struggle with agnostics and atheists, people with other lifestyle choices than ours. We fall into these categories, the us and the them, it's so easy to do. We're still doing it today. Can we take our cue from the author of 1 Timothy? Can we do that in this instance for this, for this one chance, for this one moment? Let's take our cue from the author. Don't get me wrong. It's important to know where we stand in our theology. Our positions are important. That we, that we base our positions on the truth of God's word is important. But our posture towards people is equally important. Amen? So... That, that we know our positions, but that we have a posture of love. We know what we believe, but we care for those. Care, truly care, truly want to lift them up. It's critical. What does the author do? The author names a sinner and only one. 
the author names the sinner only one, me. Of all that he had seen, of, of all the good that he had done, all the places that Paul had gone to serve and to minister and to care, and he has this person in his life who he's trying to mentor, who he's trying to build up and say, you too can serve Jesus, you too can, can save people. That's why Jesus came. All the lives that he had seen changed, and what does Paul do? He names one sinner himself. Oh, that our posture, oh, that our posture of followers of Jesus Christ would reflect that sense of humility. That kind of self-awareness, that kind of, of being vulnerable in that moment. It might change the world. And it might for the world who, who is wondering, who's heard that statement before who clearly has heard that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, it might change their perspective and help them understand that statement to be sure and solid and etched in stone and lived out in the lives of those who say, this is the one whom I follow. For Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward as we conclude, as we close our service this morning. The challenge for us today is to become a little bit more like Paul in the realization that, that this is what Christ came to do to save sinners. He started with me. Despite what I've done, despite what I've gone through, and Paul has this amazing testimony, this amazing turnaround testimony where he was he was actively working against the people of God and God got a hold of his life and turned it all around. Certainly if you've read Paul, you're going you're gonna to find some instances where, where, where Paul is pretty blunt, pretty, <laughs> pretty corrective to these churches that he was writing to. Don't get me wrong, Paul was no stranger to, to taking people to task <laughs> when, when, when they'd lost their way. But as we look into the posture that he represents in this passage, he says, Christ came to save sinners, the biggest of whom is me. That I'm the biggest sinner of all. And he testifies, this is why I was shown mercy, so I could be the biggest example of Christ Jesus' patience. That if he, if God can do that, with me, if he can take me through this process. If Christ can do it with me, Trent, your pastor and preacher, let it be known that this is a sure statement, deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus has come to save sinners. And that, my friends, is good news. Amen? Amazing news of God's infinite and amazing grace. We're going to sing a song to close, after which I'm going to pray and we're going to conclude. But today I pray that these words from 1 Timothy 
will ring in your ears and remind you over the course of the week who we're called to be. Let's sing together. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we are in awe of your grace, your, your grace-filled forgiveness for us, for us, for us who would choose to follow you, for us who would repent and ask for forgiveness. God, your grace is unfailing. It is amazing. It is so generous, God. Remind us today, remind us that you came for a reason. You came with a purpose. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, even me. We worship you today. We praise you for that truth, for that reality. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. The world has had no problem hearing this statement. They know so many times Christ comes to save sinners. But if we just shout it, if we just speak it, <laughs> shout it through a bullhorn, I think Paul would encourage us by saying, not so with you, that's not how we live. Let it live out in our lives. Let us live this way. Live today, live this week in constant awareness that God can even forgive me forgive you. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you, those who are willing and able to stand uh, to receive a benediction. In our church, we have this tradition of just extending our hands as a physical reminder that we, we receive this benediction today, and I'm stealing it from 1 Timothy <laughs> chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the King of ages, to the immortal, invisible, and only God, may honor and glory be given to him forever and always. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us, and have a great week.